This evening we continue our series on future events, and we have come to an event, yet future, that the Bible calls the Day of the Lord, or the Hour of Testing, or the Time of Jacob's Trouble, or Daniel's 70th Week. We know it as the Tribulation. This evening I want to survey the matter of the tribulation I've written there at the top of your notes. The tribulation is a seven-year period of time on earth after the rapture of the church in which God will judge Israel and the nations before Jesus returns, you might insert there, to the earth. He returns to the earth for his second coming as the conquering king to rule and reign for 1,000 years. This evening, the tribulation period. Let's pray. Oh God, it is well with our soul, even just now, as we accept in resignation to your sovereignty that all that you have ordained for us here in this earth is your perfect will. But Lord, we look forward to the day when you come again to rapture us up and away. And we know then and for eternity it will be well. I pray that you would give our minds and our hearts, our, our souls, comfort in those truths. Lord, this evening as we survey the Bible's teaching about the seven-year tribulation period, I pray that your Holy Spirit might be our teacher so that we might understand the things that we read and so that we might better appreciate your redemptive plan for the ages, including your judgments upon Israel and the nations. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This evening, I want to explain the future event of the tribulation by asking just a few, three primary questions and then answering those questions from three primary scripture texts. We cannot be exhaustive this evening. In fact, the the subject of the tribulation probably merits multiple, multiple messages, maybe even a series of messages. There is so much that could be said, but I would invite you to follow with me diligently this evening as we work from the Old Testament book of Daniel to the Gospel of Matthew and then to John's Revelation. Our study will survey some of the the, the principal and and critical passages regarding the tribulation. We begin with, with a question, what is the prophetic timing of the tribulation period? And I would point you in your copy of the scripture to Daniel chapter number nine. We begin in Daniel chapter number nine this evening. For the prophet Daniel tells us of the time, the timing and the timetable of the tribulation. Daniel nine, Let me begin reading in verse number 20. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. This is Daniel. He says, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, for Jerusalem. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved, and therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. Here is the vision. Beginning in verse 24, Daniel 9, verse 24. Daniel, 70 weeks are determined for your people, Israel and for your holy city, Jerusalem, 
to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, there's a timestamp there, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolates. The focus of our query this evening the prophetic time or timing or timetable of the tribulation points us to verses 24 to 27. The Hebrew word translated week or weeks multiple times there in those verses in our English Bibles is, is heptad in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of this Hebrew Old Testament. But who knows what a heptad is? The root, the root of, of that word hept means seven. A heptad is a group of seven. For example, if I were to use the term pentacon, you would know that I speak of a five-sided figure, like the building in Washington, D.C. that is the home to our nation's defense department. If I use the word hexagon, you would know that I speak of a six-sided figure, like an Allen wrench. If I were to use the word octagon, you would know that I speak of an eight-sided figure like a stop sign. So I've given you pentagon, hexagon, octagon, but I skipped one. A heptagon would be a seven-sided figure, or if you prefer the Latin, a septagon from the Latin. A heptad is a set of seven. But the trick is that the term heptad doesn't really specify what set of seven. We're speaking of the word weeks. Seventy weeks, verse 24, are determined. And you see that multiple times here in these verses. This is the, the heptad. But what does the heptad reference? What is the set of seven? If I were to use the word dozen, you would know that a dozen is, is twelve. But you don't know of what dozen I'm speaking. You don't know if I, I mean a dozen eggs or a dozen ears of corn, or a dozen tribes of Israel. There are 12 tribes of Israel. I could use the, the word dozen to speak of, of a bouquet of roses. And, and so really the query here is, is, what is this set of seven? What is this heptad or these weeks speaking of? If I were to use the term gross, you know that a gross is a dozen dozen, 144. But again, you don't know what I'm measuring. Maybe I bought my wife a gross of roses. How about that? Not only a dozen, but 144 roses. That would be impressive. In Daniel's prophetic vision, he's referencing heptads. This set of seven, what is he referencing? He's speaking of years. And just as we think in terms of decades or a unit of ten years, the heptad or the week is a unit of seven years. 
there are 70 units or 70 weeks or 70 heptads of seven years. Verse number 24, totaling 490 years that have been determined by God for the Jews and for Jerusalem. So let's break it down. If you're with me, verse 25 in your Bibles, at the end of the 70-year captivity of the Jews in Babylon, the command of Cyrus would go forth to restore and build Jerusalem. That command from Cyrus to, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem would trigger a period of seven units or seven years, a period of seven years or seven heptads. Seven times seven is 49. It would be 49 years before Jerusalem would be rebuilt. Those were the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. Also there in verse 25, 62 units of seven, 62 heptads or weeks would equal 434 years. 62 times seven is 434. It would be 434 troublesome years for Israel until, if you're looking at verse 25, until Messiah the Prince would come. It was a time when, when God was largely silent. We recognize this to be the intertestamental period. Now, the, the math here is critically important, and the precision of the, the chronology is nothing short of amazing. And I would point you to Sir Robert Anderson's book, The Coming Prince, which demonstrates this chronology, or Elva J. McLean's book, Daniel's Prophecy of the Seventy Weeks. The 70 weeks of, of Daniel. So, so far, we have 69 heptads or weeks equaling 483 years. Verse 26 now. Verse 26. The Messiah was not cut off until after the 7 and 62 weeks. The 69 weeks. The 69 set of 7 years putting an interval between the 69th and 70th weeks of Daniel. And the two events of the death of the Messiah and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem occur after the 69 weeks, the 69 sets of seven years, but before the 70th week, verse 27. Again, if you're looking there at the scripture, and this seems to indicate a gap of time. And this gap doesn't require, but it certainly allows for the church age. Note, note verse 27 here. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, one more set of seven years. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the, the desolate. There, there's one last unit or heptad of seven years, what we call the 70th week of Daniel. And this week, or this seven years, verse 27 explains that the prince shall come, or the Antichrist who will make a covenant with Israel for that week, for those seven years. In the middle of that week, the Antichrist will, will violate his covenant and he will desecrate the temple in Jerusalem, which is yet to be built, the third temple. So, the 70th week of Daniel, or, or the tribulation, is then described for us in Revelation chapters 6 through 16. We'll be there in just a moment. But before we get there, I, I want to give you a moment to examine this chart that's projected for you. It's also there on the back of your notes. And if a, if a picture is worth a thousand words, then perhaps the thousand words of this diagram or this chart will help you to understand 
um, what we're working with. And, and I'll allow that to be self-explanatory for you. I'll allow you to see there in the yellow the, the 70 weeks of Daniel or the 490 years of Daniel that are interrupted by the church age after the Messiah is cut off before the Antichrist comes, the one of whom we spoke last week. And so perhaps this is helpful to you. You can take it with you. But the timing of the tribulation, the time, the timing, and the timetable. I was, I was talking to the pastors here in the hallway uh, earlier this week, and, and I said to them, you know, if I had been marooned on a deserted island by myself with my Bible, and I had to put all this together by myself, I'm not sure I, I could have assembled these things. But we stand on the shoulders of men of God over the centuries, Bible scholars, theologians, churchmen, who have done the, the diligent study to help us to understand these things, of course, with the illumination of the Spirit of God. And um, this makes sense to me as I read of Daniel's vision there in, in Daniel chapter 9. But there's another question that we ask of the tribulation period. We ask, what are, uh, are, are there signs that the tribulation is, is coming, that it's drawing near? And the answer to this is yes and no. I would have you turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. In your New Testaments, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 and 25 is a record of Jesus' discourse with his disciples on the Mount of Olives overlooking the holy city of Jerusalem. And, and so consequently, we call these chapters the Olivet Discourse. It's the fifth and the last great discourse of Jesus that he gave, recorded for us in the gospel accounts. And in this discourse, Jesus is answering the disciples' questions, and, and he's describing the events that would occur in the early days of the tribulation. But what Jesus describes in this discourse are, are not really signs for us as the church. These are signs for Israel to identify the beginning of the tribulation. However, even now, I submit that there are glimpses of these signs on the horizon. And, and so we may find it profitable for us to be looking here. As I read through Matthew 24, I'll identify 10 signs... That, that will introduce the, the tribulation. And I can't take credit for the alliteration that I, I have here. I'm borrowing from Dr. David Jeremiah, whose alliteration I could not improve upon. And it pained me greatly. But uh, I will give him credit for this, and, and maybe this will be helpful. Matthew 24, let me pick up in verse number 3. Now as he, that is Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. The first sign of the tribulation will be deception by false teachers. Now, this is not something that's unique to the tribulation period. Even now, many deceivers have gone out into the world, John tells us in 2 John 1, verse, 7, verse, verse number 7. And Paul warned Timothy that in the last days there would be false prophets in 1 Timothy 6. And Peter warned about false teachers. And so we know that as the end times approach, even today, our current events are characterized by deception by false teachers. In fact, Wikipedia, which is a favorite reference source for all of us, Wikipedia keeps a list of people who have claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah. 
And it's, it's a fascinating list to, to look at if, if you ever want to go there and see that. Verses 6 and 7, and you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be dissension among the nations. Don't be troubled when you watch the news, when you hear of current events. This is not unexpected. To some degree, this has been the story of all of human history. And evidently, there will be further wars and rumors of of wars. There at the end of verse number 7, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. I'll give you letter C, D, and E. There will be devastation of the food supply, famine. There will be pestilence or disease in various places. There will be disasters around the world. And folks, these things are self-explanatory. They are coming and even now in many ways are. Verses 8 and 9, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Letter F, death for the sake of Christ. Once again, there have always been martyrs for the sake of Christ. However, experts estimate that more martyrs were killed in the 20th century than in the previous 19 centuries of church history combined. Some experts even estimate that twice as many martyrs have been killed in the 20th century than in the previous 19 centuries combined. And folks, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse and worse so that in the tribulation there will be countless martyrs for Christ. Verse number 10. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. How about this? Disloyalty among friends. Think about the family and, and, and the friends that are torn to pieces by offenses today. There's betrayal, there's, there's hate, there's conflict that exists among family and, and friends. It will only accelerate to a chronic level among human society. Verse 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. How about this, letter H, delusion associated with false religions, and drugs, or in, dr- in drug use. Now, David Jeremiah speculates that an increase in drug use will likely facilitate this delusion because Revelation 9, verse 21, you might jot it in the margin, Revelation 9, 21, characterizes end times, and, and, or end time religion as sorceries. And the Greek word that's used there in Revelation 9, verse 21, is the word pharmakos, from which we get our English pharmacy. And it's an ancient reference to the ingestion of drugs, and it appears that the use of mind-altering substances such as narcotics and hallucinogens will, will be associated with false religion, doubtless with government approval, perhaps even government mandate. How about that? Verse number 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. How about defection from lawless, lawfulness and, and virtue? And folks, I don't want to impose current events upon the scripture. However, as I read through these things, while watching the news, 
I can't help but see similarities. And so it's not a giant leap for me to expect that Jesus is coming soon to rapture up his bride away and the tribulation will soon follow. It could be tonight because these things could be tomorrow, you, you see. Verses 13 and 14. But he who endures to the end shall be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. Jesus is telling his disciples there will be a declaration of the gospel. And folks, even though things are bad now, and even, even when things get worse in the tribulation, when it comes to pass, know that the gospel message will continue to be preached. If we were to continue reading here in this Olivet Discourse, we would find in verse number 15 the, the midpoint of the tribulation, a specific time stamp that is marked by the abomination of desolation. And this is a specific reference to the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel 9, verse 27. We read it just a moment ago, also in Daniel eleven thirty-one, in Daniel 12, verse 11, three and a half years into the tribulation, at the halfway mark of that heptad or that week or that unit of seven years, the Antichrist will break his treaty with Israel and will desecrate the temple, which will obviously by that time need to have been built, that third temple. But once again, Jesus' Olivet Discourse here was not intended for us, the church, but for Israel. But yet as we read these things given to the disciples, given to, to, to Israel, we recognize these signs on the horizon when we think of what are the signs of the times? Or what do we look for? We, we can't set a date. We don't know the date of Jesus' return to, to rapture the church. But certainly there is indication. So th then we ask the third question and the big question. What will happen during the seven-year tribulation period here on this, this earth? And now I would have you turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter number five is where I'd like to begin. Revelation 5, and, and my desire this evening is not to be exhaustive, but to connect some dots for you and to give you this flyover uh, view of, of the tribulation. Revelation chapter 5, and let's pick up in, in verse number 1, just to give us a running start. John the Revelator, he says, I, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, Revelation 5 verse 1, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Of course, this is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb, who opens each seal which contains a successive judgment for the earth. And when the seventh seal is then opened, it begins with seven trumpet judgments. And when the seventh trumpet judgment is opened, there are then seven bold judgments that follow those. And I have for you a chart here that, that might be helpful in, in understanding. You see first the seven seals in Revelation chapter 6. When that seventh seal is opened, it opens the seven trumpet judgments there in Revelation 8. When, those seven, when the seventh trumpet judgment is sounded, it opens 
to the, the seven bold judgments. And this is the wrath of God that is poured out on Israel and on the nations. And so I'll, I'll give this to you very, very quickly. I preached uh, these things in detail some years back, but for our purposes this, this evening, simply providing an overview. First, the, the sealed judgments detailed in Revelation chapter number 6. And turn the page to chapter number 6, verse number 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals... Chapter 6, verse 1, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a, loud, with, a, with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow and a, and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. I don't have these seals as subpoints for you in your notes, but I'll put them before you on the screen. This marks the arrival of the Antichrist. Now, because... Christ is pictured as riding on a white horse in his second coming later in Revelation 19, verse 11. Some have taken this rider here in Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2, to to also be Christ, um, as the white horse seems to be a, a symbol of victory. However, this is not the Christ. This is the counterfeit of the Christ. This is the Antichrist that we studied last week. The arrival of the Antichrist is that first seal that is opened by the Lamb by Jesus. Verses 3 and 4. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature uh, saying, come and see, and another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. This is what we might simply identify as war is happening, maybe a slaughter. Verses 5 and 6, the third seal. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the the wine. Uh, This is describing famine. God's judgment on earth will will come in the form of famine. Verses 7 and 8 give us the fourth seal. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the the, the name of him who sat on it was death. And Hades followed with him the grave. and, And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. This is simply death will reign over the earth. Verse 9, the fifth seal, and he opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge your blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Folks, this is martyrdom martyrdom of those who give testimony to Jesus Christ. Verse 12, I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. What's going on there? We could, we could say earthquake. At the time of this sixth seal being opened and the wrath of God and judgment falling upon the earth, people now realize they are facing 
the wrath of God and the Lamb, verse 15, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich man, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? And folks, at this point, early on in the tribulation, things are really bad. And everyone knows it. But things are nowhere near from being over. And the seventh seal then brings the second wave of judgments. If you'll jump to chapter 8, verse number 1, Revelation 8, 1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. This seventh seal, I, I would call calm before the storm. And folks, we might say in the vernacular, all hell has broken loose. And respectfully, this is what is happening on earth. There are some that would contend that um, we have gone through the tribulation, we're in the millennial kingdom now. Uh, I don't think so. Some would contend that Christ will come for his church at some midway point in the tribulation. I hope that's not the case. We have the promise that God will deliver us from this wrath to come. But after the seven seal judgments, letter A, is the trumpet judgments there, letter B. And again, I, I'm not prepared to, to give you all of these subpoints, and we're not going to read all of the scripture text simply for the sake of time this evening. But on the screen, I'll just summarize what is now going to happen with this next set of judgments. And I'll give them to you quickly. One-third of the earth, trees and grass, are burned up in chapter 8, verse 7. One-third of the sea creatures die and the ships are destroyed. One-third of the waters are polluted and many die. One-third of the sun, moon, and stars are, are darkened. Uh, Locusts and and demons are released to torment people in chapter 9. Four bound demons are released to kill one-third of humanity. And Christ's kingdom reign is proclaimed. The seventh trumpet judgment, then marking the beginning of the final set of seven judgments, the bull judgments, letter C, the bull judgments. And I would have you turn ahead to chapter 16. Chapter 16, and and of course I would encourage you to read these things in the book of Revelation. A blessing is promised to those that read Revelation. Revelation 16, verse number 1, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And perhaps then as you look at chapter 16, you can... You, you can see maybe your Bible even, uh, the editors have, have given you some notation of the first, second, third bowls, etc., and, and broken it down. These come later in the tribulation period in rapid succession. They are severe, extremely severe. And it looks like this, painful sores come on people. The sea becomes like blood, and everything in the sea dies. The rivers and springs of water are turned to blood. The sun scorches people with fire and heat. Darkness and intense pain afflict humanity. 
The Euphrates River is dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Severe earthquakes split the great city into three parts and cities fall and severe hail drops from heaven. Folks, these things are horrific. Calamity like the world has never seen before. And and I praise God that this will not be the experience for New Testament believers. The the church, the church is, is not part of the tribulation. In fact, just a in an interesting but important note, the church is mentioned 17 times in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. In chapter 4, the apostle John is called up to heaven and then he looks down on the events of the tribulation, describing them in, in great detail, Genesis, or Revelation chapter 6 through 16 here now. However, the church is never mentioned in all of these chapters, in all of the description of the tribulation period. The church is absent from John's revelation until chapter 19 when the church returns to earth with her bridegroom, Jesus Christ, at his glorious appearing to conquer. And so we're we're comforted by that. But let me conclude with this. A question that's not in your notes. Your notes are complete. There's a a nagging question that we ask when we think of the tribulation. We think of those who are left behind after the rapture of the church. What happens to them? If we were to go back to Jesus' Olivet Discourse in, in Matthew 24 and 25, we read it in Matthew 24, verse number 14, Jesus explained that the gospel would continue to be preached. During the greatest calamity on earth, the tribulation period, the greatest persecution that the world has ever known, there will be countless people who are converted to faith in Jesus Christ. And I praise the Lord for that. And I I marvel at that. And, And this is, in fact... Very much a reality. We have heard missiologists who have reported that upwards of 2 billion people in the world today have never heard or don't understand the gospel enough to accept or reject it. So at the beginning of the tribulation period, there will be all of maybe a quarter or a third of the people on planet Earth that are ignorant to the gospel. Okay, how will these people hear the gospel if all of the Christians have been raptured away. The Bible tells us that there will be two witnesses in Jerusalem. There will be 144,000 Jews who will proclaim the truth during the, during the tribulation. We can read of that in Revelation 11, Revelation 14. Furthermore, there will be the written revelation of God's word preserved, available in print and electronically, Dr. Henry Morris calls it the silent witness. And the proliferation of God's word, just even in our own English language, all of the electronic copies that we have, the silent witness of God's word will continue to speak of Jesus. And during the tribulation period, people will receive salvation in the very same way that people have always been saved by God's grace. And that is through faith in his promises. But for us today, today is the day of salvation. And I would warn you and caution all of us, 
It is foolish and presumptuous to think that we can reject Jesus now and wait until the rapture occurs and we find ourselves suffering through the tribulation period that we will then change our mind and trust in Jesus Christ. Don't be foolish. Don't be presumptuous to think that that would be your story. The tribulation, the terrible wrath of God. You might ask additional questions, but how is that right or how is that fair? Know that God is a just God and the wrath that he rains down upon Israel and upon the nations during the tribulation period will be just. And so we can We can worship him and praise him and thank him for that justice. Let me pray. Oh God, we thank you for the written revelation we have of these things. From the prophet Daniel, from the gospel of Matthew and and, and Luke, from, from the book of Revelation as the apostle John recorded what you have shown him. Lord, I thank you for the surety we have that you will spare us from the wrath to come. We thank you, Lord, for the assurance we have that the rapture is imminent. And we look to the sky and wait for the return of Jesus to meet us in the air. Lord, I pray that these things might compel us to to give the gospel to our lost family and friends, that they might not endure this suffering. Lord, may we Live by faith and walk in faith until you return. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.